Welcome to the Blue Room on Radio City Talk with me, Peter McPartland. We've got Paddy Boyland, we've got Dave Downey, and we've got Matt Jones in the studio. Full compliments. Happy day. Something big must have broken if we've got the full compliments. <laughs> um, now, this is obviously, it's an Everton show. We're here to talk about Everton, but we're here to talk about other things, but with a slight blue tint on them. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the Bournemouth game, we'll talk about the Crystal Palace game. But, gents, I wanted to start the show by talking about Sam Allardyce, because I don't think you can escape it. I don't think you can have any kind of conversation about football, I, I, certainly today, without touching on, on, on Sam Allardyce. Because whether we like England or not, and this will be great because if anyone in the room likes England, then you can have a moan. And if people who don't like England, Dave Downey, uh, you can have also a moan at the state of the English game as well. So I think this is perfect. I think this is a perfect subject. And whether you like Sam Allardyce or not, then again, you can have a moan or or, or, or defend them for his awful treatments and entrapment. Um, <laughs> I don't want to mess when I say that. So, gents, I mean, he's... he's, he's Resigned as England manager after what was it, sixty-seven days? Yeah, that's yeah. going to become like the infamous number, isn't it? We all know. We all know. Well, I'll say we all know. I know because I'm old. That um, that clough lasted Leeds for forty-four days. Well, this is the new one. Sixty-seven is the new number. Uh, he has he has been generously paid off. Believe it or not, oh. Se- a seven-figure uh, fee. As Has well, he? oh yeah, yeah. Oh, this is not just like does that co- look avoid when he? Re- no, 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 because no. He, no, because I'm not. I'm not saying I have no idea why he's been paid, but he has been paid handsomely to well, leave. Well, it's mutual, isn't it? It's not. It's not a sacking. I think that's why. But it's not sacking because that a sacking would heap the embarrassment on the FA. Yeah, and it would. It. I'm not going to say what it is because I'm. I'm not allowed <laughs> to say why I think it is. But um, Dave, I'm going to start with you. Dave Downey, yeah. you, you're all, yeah, you're England. That's here, here to say. You're sitting here with your Iceland top on. Um, when I say that, I don't mean the uniform. I don't mean the uniform. You work, yeah, you're, uh, you, you, you're on the door with the, with the tango, fella. There's uh, a Fanta, uh, Dave. What I mean, <laughs> Sam, Sam Allardyce. Come on, to give us your words, thoughts. Uh, do you know what? I, I had no sympathy with the man whatsoever because I, I think it's extremely naive what he did. Uh, having said that, I seen him this morning interviewed outside his house, and he wasn't allowed to say too much because uh, there's a confidentiality agreement in place with the FA. Um, and I actually did feel a little bit sorry for him because he, he looked like a, a beaten man who, who'd had his dreams taken away, obviously by his own hand. Um, do I think it's harsh? No, because I, I think anybody sort of disrespects, uh, embarrasses their employer in the way in which he did, um, I, I think deserves the probably the strictest of punishments. He's obviously paid the ultimate price for it. Um, and, and I think that, that, that th- there was no choice from the FA point of view. I actually think, and I might get a few pelters for this, I, I don't think the FA have handled it too badly, to be honest with you. I think they've, they've acted quickly. Um, when putting Gareth Southgate in, won't be any sort of masterstroke because I was thinking as soon as it happened I thought oh this could be a bit of a godsend this getting rid of like a really bad manager that's my opinion on Allardyce as a manager and maybe starting fresh and, and looking further afield and thinking hang on maybe this is a chance to get somebody in but no they've gone with Gareth Southgate for the next four games um, and if he does if he goes unbeaten let's say he probably gets it let's be honest oh, I think he'll get it because there's nobody mm. else out there so um, I, th- I think it's so foolish from Allardyce, whatever his intentions were or not. I mean, he said he was helping out a friend who he's known for 30 odd years. Whether that's the case or not, you, you simply don't do that. And the alarm, sh- alarm sign should have been there based on what has gone on with previous England managers and previous undercover 
investigative journalism. Um, so I, I think it's really naive, and he's probably got what what, what was coming to him. I, I, the reaction to it all is what's troubled me a little bit in terms of you see some people seeing Jake Humphrey of BT Sport last night saying it's the poisonous press's fault that this has all come about, and I think that react. I mean, journalism in this country does take a beating at times, and, and rightly so in some occasions, but. I think this sort of thing where the journalists involved are obviously seeking to, to weed out corruption and, and, and you know, underhand mm-hmm. things that they're always discussing, I think that should be cherished and, and, yeah, and applauded in a way. And I think someone like Sam Allardyce, who obviously in 2006 was involved in the whole panorama mm-hmm. um, debacle yeah. in terms of bungs and, and all that sort of thing going on. It's not as if they've they've looked at him now because he's the England manager and thought, right, we're going to go after this fella because he's the England manager and he's been given a position of power. Maybe they did. He's got, but he's, they've been investigating him yeah. for 10 months, haven't they? All he's done is set up a scenario. Hmm. He, he still said those words. Nobody had a gun to his head. Nobody forced him to say these things. And honey trap and whatever it is the term is used nowadays, I, I think that regardless of how it's come about, they've unearthed something that was unethical. And it's, and, and, and I, I don't think the means by way of how they've done it should be the talking point here. In, I think it's good journalism. In this modern age as well, it's unbelievably naive to, to do what he was yeah. doing in a, in a public mm. place like that. Exactly. And, and well, sitting there, you know... It no was, one to blame but himself. He it it, it comes across as a braggart, doesn't he, in yeah. a way? Because he's sitting there, he's, you know, he's, he's slumped on the couch and he's talking about yeah. getting around these loopholes being able to, to, to get players in and, and slagging off people like Roy Hodgson really childishly and, and using you know terms like Roy and stuff like that. It's, it's not what you should be doing if, you, if you're a man like mm. him. And he should know better than anybody. All it takes is for somebody on the next table to have a phone to record or something. And he could be... Well, how many times... He doesn't have to be a journalist, by the exactly. way. How many, could do how many times do you see a Premier League footballer, a Premier League manager, a Premier League coach, a Premier League referee put their hand over their mouth while they're talking mm. during exactly. a game? Because they know that... Everything gets picked up. We seen the we seen the um, we seen the one last week with when David Moyes made the change in the Sunderland game and the play the the putting their hands over the mouth having conversations. Yeah. Does my Edwin Lukaku does that? He does that with every single conversation he does. He's always got his hand over the. And, you and can see why. And then goes on Instagram and just tells the world his life <laughs> yeah. story. No, but you Belgium can understand first. why they're very protective because. You know, everyone everyone wants to know all, not all the dirty secrets, but they want to know the ins and outs of everything, so I can understand. Paddy, you know, what's your take on it? Well, going back to the second itself, I think it is the right decision from England's point of view on a it number was, of it, levels. It uh, <laughs> whatever the terminology yeah. is, mm. the decision itself, let's say, um, it was the right decision for a number of reasons. Mm. Firstly, because of his conduct, just not what you associate with a typical England manager. Mm, and what, I don't know what, they, <laughs> what, what they're looking for. Isn't that for. five out of seven? Isn't that? Isn't it, I'm sure know. it's five out of just, seven. Just off on a tangent before you carry on, Paddy. The best thing I seen was uh, Ben Smith tweet this morning. Was the Chilean miners were down yeah. there for longer? Than, now, yeah. <laughs> than <someone laughs> oh, said the I think job. it's five out of seven. I think Venables went under a cloud. Hoddle went under a cloud. Sven or Gordon Eriksson for all his failures went on for pretty much the same mm-hmm. thing. Um, Capello was Capello, was yeah, he, different he, stuff. That yeah. Was but there's always, apart from, I think Roy Hodgson is probably one of the only ones who's ever gone for being, for what he's done on the pitch. Mm. Really. The rest of, of all, there's been always something. So I don't know whether it's the kind of manager they're getting, but. Um. Well, yeah, the, the bizarre thing, is, as far as I can see, it, is that as a response to those kind of situations, if you think about Glenn Hoddle as well, he was another one. The FA looked to go down a different route and I, I thought they looked for somebody as a kind of front of house manager type that, that scrubs up well and is, is completely white, if mm. you like. That's why they went for Roy Hodgson over Harry Redknapp, yeah, let, let, let's not forget. Mm. And 
to go back, they've reverted to type here and they, they could have picked, they could have gone abroad, they could have found somebody, I feel, with better credentials. They could also have gone down a different route and appointed somebody like Eddie Howe, even if it is, even if it was too soon for him. But they've gone for Allardyce and I think you should know what you're getting yourself in yeah. for there. We've seen Panorama. We know what um, what he's been up to in the past. Well, allegedly, allegedly been up to, let's, let's, <laughs> let's say, in case anybody's listening. Um, might be a couple. And I just, I, I just think that this was always bound mm. to happen. The Telegraph journalists knew what they were going to find. They just had to set up this hypothetical scenario mm. for him to fall into the trap. And it, it was predictable. Um, I think it's better for England in the long term as well that yeah. he's gone. I think the worry for me, I mean, it's not a worry. I'm, I'm not really not that bothered. But the, Sam Allardyce was touted as this England manager that everyone had wanted for years. Bit of, bit of slightly more colourful. Not a yes man. And, and to be fair, whatever's gone on in the past, I think a lot of people were, were were willing to say, you know, let bygones be bygones. That's happened in the past. But it's the fact that he did this while he was the England manager. Mm. If he'd done this before and it'd come out, I think he would have got away with it. I think he would have said, listen, I've changed now. I'm the England manager. Because there, I think there was another video, wasn't there, where in Manchester mm. and the fella said something to him and he just put like a he put like a, a, a towel over his face and he went, oh, why did you just say that? It was almost like he'd been tipped off about the first video. Mm. And he was like, oh, don't say things like that in front of me. And that's what his reaction should have been in the first video. Mm. He should have just went, lads, listen, don't, well, don't be stupid. Well, I'm the England manager now. I'm the highest paid international football manager in the world you know I'm happy to have a conversation about this uh, £400,000 gig you want me to have but don't be talking to me about these things don't be naive don't be stupid I'm now the England manager but he didn't and like you said before Dave he took it with pride he took took talking about those things with absolute pride pompous wasn't it it was it was like look at me I'm the England manager he he, he, there was no you know he should have been slightly more humble about the about the fact that he was now England manager like he'd achieved all his dreams you know working class lad done good but he didn't he he went down the other route and he was was more like you know haha look at me I I can do whatever I want now and and um, and now he's coming out trying to like act like he's some kind of modern day Robin Hood. That's he'll it. End up, he'll <laughs> end up at Sunderland or Stoke. I don't think he should end yeah, up anywhere. I think I that's either. it. I completely agree. Yeah, he's, you know, some you're thinking of some people in, in football in the past. And I was reading an article about uh, I think you might have put it on Ped about Mike, Mike Newell. Newell. I was, well, was going to bring Mike Newell. Look, look at someone like him. Um, but yeah, I think the, the disappointing thing is when he when he took this role, he was always going to have to adjust, wasn't he? Sam Allardyce. He couldn't carry on being as he was, doing the same sorts of things in, in all aspects really in terms of how he was off the field, in terms of his style of football and, and that that interview and those, uh, those, those cameras just painting a picture of a man who just didn't realise he needed to make adjustments and didn't realise he needed to, to change to become the uh, become a successful England manager. Well, but going back to the Mike Neal thing, I think it's good to put something on that. Basically 10 years ago when this panorama thing came out and Sam Allardyce was implicated and Carrie Redknapp was implicated, Mike Neal basically came out and as a whistleblower, and he he basically said, "This is rife in football. This needs to stop." Um, and it was him who got, it was him who got thrown out the yeah. bus for it. Football blacklisted him. Mm. He hasn't been able to get a job since. Mm. You know, it it's not right what what has happened to Mike Newell. He, you know, he was a good manager, and he's been basically blacklisted for this, and he's been proven right. And where is the old boys' network and football? Has, has got away with this for years and years and years, and have protected themselves. People like Mike Newell should have been, you know. Front page, he should have been getting good, you know, the best jobs he could. He, he was he was uh, capable of having, but he didn't. He was pushed away by the old boys' network, and I'm glad that it's caught up with them. Mm. I really am glad it's caught up with them, and I re- and I hope that 
you know, there's been talk of seven or eight other, other managers. I hope that comes out, and I hope those managers are shamed. And you know, if it touches our club, then whoever it is, you know, I hope mm-hmm. they get booted because yeah, I don't, I don't want people like that in our club. I don't want people like that in football. You know, all what makes you laugh is the FA go on about. I've been going on for the last few years about the corruption in FIFA, and yet there's definitely been something rotten at the heart of English football for a while and they just haven't been bothered to deal with it. Mm. And now because it's landed on their doorstep, they have had to do something to mm. do something to do with it. And they haven't even done it properly. They haven't, you know, made a big example of them and sacked them and said, this is out- outrageous and we will not give you a penny. They've, they've obviously made them resign to lessen the blow and they're paying them off. For me, that that's disgraceful. I don't think you should, you should ever work in the game again as far as I'm concerned. I don't know. I, d- I don't share that outrage. I, I think... I mean, it's not an honest mistake. I think it's a severe error in judgment. Um, but if I mean, if the alleged things are true that he's done in the past, then um, he, there's been issues around this in in the past. Then I suppose you know it's it, it's the end of um, a, a sort of conveyor belt of, of incidents that that have happened like that. Um, so maybe a right pet. I, th- I think. You know, you can only do it so many times, can't you? Repeated the mm. offences and stuff like that. If indeed he has, um, then then maybe that is the, the the punishment he should receive. But if you take this incident in isolation, um, I, I think it's it's an error in judgment. I mean, he, he says, and I'm not by any means defending him, but he does say, "I'll have to clear this with my bosses and and, and stuff like that." He, he does. He, he waters it down to an extent. Um, I, I wouldn't. I don't know if I go as far as saying he should never work in football again, but. I mean, where, where does he go? Would you want now? him to work at Everton? No. So absolutely. why should he work anywhere well, else? Why would you want to inflict him on any well, There's a whole club? list of reasons why I wouldn't want to. <laughs> no, no, but, I've had but, nothing to do with that. But I don't. I we, we've seen we've seen um, transfers ourselves in the last twelve months, which for us looks slightly weird when you when you put them. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I don't really want to go into it, but you know how many how many more to you know you think about players who've been bought and you think well we've paid for those players in a roundabout way. And he's talking about how he'll make money off them, how the agents will make money off them, mm. how they, you know, he, it's corruption. It, that's what it is. It's yeah. corruption. Well, and, then, yeah, then and he's been caught enough. with his, you know, he's been caught as you should, with his with his hand in the uh, in the honey pot. And he, that's for me. He got away with it ten years ago, and he and and he just he kept on. He's obviously been happy to. Well, he's been he's been proud of the fact he didn't learn from it, and it seems today like he's not sorry. He just seems like he's he's sorry he got caught. Yeah, from- I, I, I don't think any club now could appoint him though, could be based on what's going on and, and how things have gone. I mean, th- there might be a team that's, that's desperate to stay up. You know, it might, it might even be Sunderland, mightn't it? Late on in the season, yeah. that they're struggling to stay up, and they might they might think, oh, do, do we get him back in again? But I think the, the reaction to it and the way he'll come across now after all all that's gone on I don't think any team would really risk it and, and when you listen to him on Sky this morning saying is this going to be your last job in football there, there was a resignation about his answer in, in, mm. in the way he responded so I'd, I'd be surprised if we saw him again anywhere to be honest I think you know finally finally on this I think it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds if it unfolds and this is the first of many I don't think there's going to be any, any as high profile as this well, but, but if it unfolds and it becomes a big scandal then I don't think he can work anywhere again well but they said um, in, in the, the initial piece, didn't they, there's going to be stuff over the coming days, more and more coming out. Yeah. And based on, on what was listed, I think there's going to be, while there may not be as, as many high-profile figures involved, I think the, the evidence they've got in, in terms of what's going on and how it might relate to corruption is, is going to be a lot more tangible with, with, the, uh, with the other figures who are tied to it. So it's going to be dead interesting mm-hmm. to see what comes out. 
I think it's good news for Ross Barkley and bad news for Phil Jagielka. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's Barkley's it. Barkley's got to get in our team first. Yeah, he has to get in our team, and we'll be talking more about that after the break. This is the Blue Room. One hour, everything Everton. Radio City Talk. Welcome back to the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. The whole of the first part we. We donated to England in a roundabout way, but, you know, football in general, I think we have to talk about it. Time to focus purely and simply on Everton Football Club and the defeat of Bournemouth on Saturday. Um, for me, gents, Paddy, I'll start with you. You know, I've, I was very disappointed with the performance, as as most Evertonians were. Um, but what, what really worried me was, and I suppose this follows on from the Norwich game, that, you know, if you scratch the surface of Everton's squad... You know, there isn't much there. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? And and like you say, the most depressing thing about it is that I thought at some point in the season Everton would be caught out in terms of the, the depth in the squad or the lack of depth in the squad, I, sh- I should maybe say. Um, we played three games in a week and for, in the final game it looked to me that four or five of them were off the pace. Mm. Either the ones that had been rushed back like Barry and uh, Lukaku or some like Garner Gay that weren't fully there anyway for, for me. And Pick a name, man. Pick a name. Garner or Gay. Come on. <laughs> Garner. Let's go for Garner then. That's what he himself likes, isn't it? As a tribute to it, his, his granddad or something. I don't, I don't know. He's explained if I wasn't really listening. <laughs> Favorite player, Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love him. He was, he was, yeah. he was, he wasn't at the races. No. I didn't think we were swamped no. in midfield, weren't we? And and it was telling actually that Tom Cleverley came on and he made a big difference just because he had the energy to get around the pitch and to put Bournemouth under pressure a bit. I mean, we know about Bournemouth already. Some of their lads in midfield regularly top stats in terms of distance covered. They mm. they're a really hard working team, and we just didn't compete in that aspect and. A few of the lads got bullied a bit. I, I was surprised to see Ashley Williams getting knocked off the ball by Callum yeah. Wilson, to be honest. He, he really ruffled a few feathers. and um, They they weren't at the races and they didn't deserve to get anything from the game, I, I, I felt at least. Yeah, I, I agree with Paddy. And I think um, the, the scratching the surface, Ped, I think... You know, you look at lads coming in and, and you know you take the four lads in isolation who, who, who were... Like attacking players or can contribute to our attacking force. The four lads that were on the bench were Valencia, Dale Feu, uh, Lennon, and Cleverly. Um, and I think whilst each of them can have good games on the day, can be effective on the day, um, you're looking at lads that will come in and do a job. And then secondly, and probably more pertinently, they're coming in and replacing lads who are better than them. And and when the it's it's that old adage of a lack of a plan B, isn't it? When we we have positions. In the squad, where we we have a we have competition for, and and ironically, it is midfield. Um, you know, you think about when you get Bessage fit, you get McCarthy fit. You've got you've got a lot of options in midfield. Should you need to change them? And you look how ruthless Cooman's been, but you you feel as if he's working with the limitations of a relatively poor squad in terms of depth and and strength in depth. So you look at the changes he's made in, in the first six games, the McCarthy one, which has been spoken about a lot at West Brom after half an hour. And the uh, Barkley one at Sunderland, you, you, if you take those two changes, they they've made alterations to our shape more than the individual coming on providing any great deal of quality. I mean, McCarthy was hooked at West Brom for Dale Feu. Dale Feu come on, give us natural width and was able to cross the ball. He was nothing groundbreaking in in that. 
Um, it just gives us more width. And then you look at the Barkley one, he was having an absolute stinker, so whoever was going to come on was going to be an improvement on how he performed mm-hmm. on that night. Aside from that, you look at game-changing substitutions, we don't have anybody on and, and I'd be categorical about that because I don't think De La Faye is pulling up any trees at the moment either. We don't have anybody outside that first eleven who can come on and make an improvement. Uh, aside from if the team or the lad that are placing is having an absolute stinker. And and I think that's our problem. I think we need to get used to it before Christmas as well. And games like that, I think, are an inevitability at the moment if we don't perform with the first eleven. Yeah, I agree with the point you just made there, lads. But I think what was most disappointing for me on Saturday was, aside from probably Leighton Baines being inside, it was the best 11, whatever team will probably put out. And we, we touched upon this on, on the show on Wednesday about how, <laughs> although it's, it's been a good start to the season, we couldn't really remember the game apart from the Tottenham one where Everton had come out the traps firing and asserted themselves early in the game and, and really steadied themselves. And you're watching that match on, on Saturday and within the first... 10-15 seconds Ross Barkley's give the ball away mm. and both nearly scored and, and when you're away from home and, and that happens it, it gives the, the home crowd a lift it gives yeah. the players a lift and it, that just kind of set the tempo for, for, for those early exchanges then and Bournemouth were all over us and I think what, you, what you'll what you see at Bournemouth this season is and what you've probably seen since they come up in the Premier League is the best sides will go there they'll weather that early mm. storm take the sting out the game and then, then they assert themselves and Everton didn't do that they never were never able to get a foothold um, and, and the worrying thing for me for, for a long time now is that this team just looks so disjointed when, when Gareth Barry's not in it well I mean he, he obviously did play at the weekend but was nowhere near fully fit no. and in hindsight, obviously, but I remember uh, someone from the Echo tweeting, he's you know he's, he's bandaged up and ready to play, and I was concerned about that because, as Paddy mentioned there, the likes of Wilshire, the likes of Harry Arter, even Dan Gosling, when he's played at times for them, they get around the pitch, they they do put a, yeah. a, a big shift in, and although Barry's had a, a good start to the season, when he's not when he's hobbling around midfield, yeah. you're going to get overrun that area. So it, it was a really disappointing a lot, start. A lot was made of like Wilshire's <laughs> performance, wasn't it? But you know, I think I seen one journalist saying oh he's been all over Barry today and I think well Barry's not fit for a start mm. but that's what I mean when I'm talking about strength depth, uh, depth is that Barry shouldn't be playing in those mm. games if he's not fit then he's 34 or 35 whatever he is he shouldn't be playing if he's not fit and I think that that's that's a big problem and and Lukaku didn't look fit to me either and no. that's another big problem because you know if you're not if you can't replace these players then you've got you've got They've got an, an issue. And like you were saying there, the th- thing about when Cleverly came on was he didn't do anything he didn't do anything revolutionary. He just Still better than what he was just kept there. but he kept everything simple mm. and he kept the shape. And if if we'd started the game with a Cleverly, a McCarthy and and maybe something like Bessage, I think we would have won that game quite comfortably. Mm. But because we've got Barry who's injured, we we had we had Garner who I almost feel like he had to do the work of two players because mm-hmm. of that. And Ross Barkley, who now I think has given the ball away, the second amount yeah. in the Premier League, then you're you're going to be under the cosh where we need it just to be strong. You know, you go to away from home, really what you should be saying is, right, let, we'll try and get a draw here and we'll try and nick a win. And we set, we set I think we were, we set up on Saturday, like, well, it's win or nothing here today. And and I think that's that was our first mistake. And I think, I think what Koeman has to start doing is um, or certainly look to do just to have a little bit more trust in a few players. I think that's you know maybe cleverly it's been a little bit early because he's had that knock, but have a bit more faith in cleverly to play in these games. We'll see what happens. You know what I mean? Sink or swim. Um, the one for me is Tom Davies. I think yeah. he should be around the squad now. I don't know why he's playing for the under twenty threes. You know, a couple of days before this first team. I don't know whether they were underway for some kind of 
um, authority over, and you can call whatever he wants and do anything. Maybe that's why he's playing the ass and the ass is on the first team. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I do think Tom Davies needs no, to now be around because every time I see Tom Davies, I see energy, but I also see a maturity past his. You know, every time we see him, he gets. He, I seen a tackle he threw in on the under twenty threes. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh my god, it was it was wonderful. He just <laughs> absolutely just smashed the Man United player all over the place. But he's got a maturity that. You look, you look at someone like Ross Barkley and you think, you don't have that maturity yet. That's mm. exactly right, mate. And and that's where I think if if, if I was Ronald Koeman, um, I would put Tom Davis in from the start. I'd put Ross Barkley on the bench. And and, and, and almost a way of showing Barkley, look, this this is a young, hungry footballer. He's got the desire and, and, and not, not so much a kick up the backside because I'm not necessarily sure that's what Ross needs, but... I think he needs time out of the side. I think that's the only way you solve this at the moment. I don't think you leave a player who's suffering the way he is on the pitch and, and keep continually giving him game time and chances and, and mistakes. I think he needs taken out. He needs to get a bit of perspective of what's going on around him. Um, and Tom Davis, I, I'd, throw, I'd throw him in right now, Ped. I, yeah. I'd, give, I'd give him a run of it, games and see how he does. It's bigger than Ross Barkley, though, isn't it? Like last, yeah, it is, last, last, yeah. last week we talked about... Truman said that he got angry about yeah. it when he was asked about just La- Barkley. Last week, I mean, we, we had a... I think we talked about does Koeman have a responsibility to look after him? Because, you know, we all see him as a key player in the future. Obviously, he's an important part of the team. And whether taking him out the side would um, destroy his confidence in a way. And he, he might not, it might take him a long time to come back from that, but... I think the simple fact is he's not playing well at the moment and as you said there he's given the ball away the second most times of any player in the Premier League this season and granted in his position he's going to have to take risks on the ball going to have to try and play key passes but again like we said last week he's got to have that base level he's got he to doesn't have, to have a default setting yeah, does he he doesn't have that setting where you can just say to Ross doesn't have a 6 out of 10 in him he doesn't have, but he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a just keep the ball mate just exactly. keep the ball mm. it's all it's all, and it's not again if it develops the right way, it'll, he'll be a fantastic player. But he needs to have that default, which is what Gareth Barry's basically at the whole of his career. Mm. He's a 7 out of 10 every week. Mm. He'll be a very, very good, that successful weird. player yeah. at being a 7 out of 10. And if that's your base level, when you have really good games, then you're only going to go one way, aren't mm. you? And you're going to shine. But the reaction, sorry, Paddy, go on. Sorry, this is this is where Ronald Koeman needs to take a bit of flack, probably for the first time in his yeah. Everton career. Because if you look at it, Ross Barkley was thinking the place out. He's he's made a decision over him. I'm not particularly sure it's the the right one in the in the short term or in the medium term. But Bournemouth had three in there. Wilshire was constantly dropping back in. Uh, Barry was half fit. You look at that. You knew before he would have known before the game Koeman that um, Barry was wasn't 100 percent fit. And he could have just gone with a with a, a, a normal four three three with a Tom Davies or a Cleverly in there to compensate, mm. push the wingers on, and you're far more solid. We wouldn't have lost that game. That's my personal opinion. We wouldn't have lost that game if we'd gone in with that. And that's what I'd advocate moving forward, actually, because I think Crystal Palace have similar characteristics in midfield. Mm. I look at James MacArthur and Joe Ledley, and they're going to put in the hard yards at Goodison on Friday night. And if Everton don't compete, the same thing will happen again for me because they're a threat from set pieces as well. Um, so I, I think it's time for Barkley to come out of the firing line. I think we need to put a more conventional number mid, um, number six, number eight midfielder in there, Tom Cleverley or Tom Davis. Mm. I don't mind which one it is, but I think it's time to mix things up. As long up as the now. name's Tom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think the, um, the point Matt made yeah. before Pedro wants to, Go to on. pick up on him. Um, the, the, the thing about Spurs is the first game where we've got off the traps quickly. I, I think that's been a, a real. Well, this was the f- of mine for a long. long this was time. the first game where we were actually 
punished. Yeah. For you know, every game. I mean, maybe not maybe not active team. Yeah, we we haven't we haven't started games well, and and we were punished in this game, and we didn't. Resp- and then when we were on a goal behind, we didn't we didn't respond to it. I mean, against Middlesbrough, we responded straight away, mm. and that was it. The game was was game was changed. And against West Brom, we had a change in us, which was Lukaku. But in this game, we didn't have we didn't have a change of gear, and we didn't have anyone to bring on who could change it either. So we were sort of stuck. Even yeah. though we did have good chances in the second half to win it, but I'd, I'd love to know the stats on how often we score early goals in games because we're so sluggish out when, when we kick off. It's like we need this first twenty minutes to settle and find some sort of rhythm and tempo in the game. And I think that's been a long-standing thing with every single manager dating back to what probably Moyes. Well, was that well, stat? Wasn't the one. Was that stat being bandied around early last season? Wasn't it about how we hadn't had a shot on target in the first twenty 15, minutes? Wasn't it? I think it was went on for, for absolutely, absolutely that's when, ages. That's when yeah. For the second, you you yeah. you go one 0 up in a game, and and it changes absolutely everything. I know Lukaku had that header, um, which I think I know. Yeah, he should have scored. He should put away. He's nowhere yeah. near in the corner. I think it's a sitter, and um, and that's a Boric got in the Barclays, of the week on that save. Barclays is a sitter. <laughs> Valencia's. Why is he going at that? With his I don't know what Valencia Do, is, but I don't know. If, uh, watching that game in the weekend, I, I kind of got the impression that maybe all the the hard yards they've been yeah, doing, felt all like the that. all the training behind the scenes, and maybe they're not used to putting that kind of effort in and, and getting that fitness up. It looked as though that the whole team as a collective was just jaded, yeah. and perhaps now with the British international break coming up, it might be at the right time the, for us. The, the thing is, as well, I mean, we've we've been pretty good so far. It's not. It, you know, I'd rather he found out a few home truths now than later on. You know, because you can you can coast through certain games and then you go against a tough team and suddenly you find that you're very very short. Mm. At least he's finding out a few home truths in games that we sh- you know we say we should be winning. He's finding out a, f- a few things about a few people, and that you know he 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 said it would take him two years to get the squad he wanted. It's not going to happen overnight. He can't go out and buy anyone now. And even though we wanted it so much last week, Matt, we took our free transfers. We can't have John Utaka because we've got a full squad, mate. <laughs> Close unfortunately, <laughs> um, I want John Utaka. I don't care, mate. He's the man who plays in Portsmouth. Yeah, but in the, in in Pro Evo six or Pro Evo, oh, he's amazing. He used to eat, if you had a master league, he's the first player. He used to always get. He used to transform your side, so, John Utaka. Um, even if we sign someone on a free transfer, we yeah, can't. we can't. The squad's full. Oh. The God's full. Um, so unless they're under closer, under unless, yeah, yeah, and there's not many of them knocking yeah. about this. So, so from that point of view, at least he's getting a little look at the squad, and I also think he's getting a good idea of the attitude of some players. We've mentioned Delafeu. His attitude stinks. Mm. Don't forget, he started the season as what Cumin said as as the backup striker. And has suddenly found himself completely nowhere near a striking option now. And he's coming on to games, throwing his arms up in the air, falling over. You know, and Morales. Yeah, thing is, Morales is not playing well on the other side, but at least Morales tries. At least yeah. he puts a shift in. Morales is trying. He's trying to work through it. Then you, you know, he got bombed out of Seville for the same reason by by Emery for the, exactly the same reason. So at least he's finding out all the things about those players now, um, and hopefully he's making a nice little uh, list for January, which Steve Walsh can go and first of January. I expect a full compliment standing next to the standing next to uh, Farhad. And Jim White, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's Eleven about, players. Yeah. It's about plugging the gaps until Dece- uh, December and January, I think. But there, there are a few in the under twenty threes that I think yeah. are definitely worth a go on that. Yeah. Like, it's after about that performance. It's yeah, about right. managing your squad, isn't it? Right. We've run out of time for part two. There's people screaming at us, shouting through the windows. We'll be back to look forward to the game on Friday against Crystal Palace. Right after this. This is the Blue Room. One hour, everything Everton. Radio City Talk.
Welcome back to the final part of the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. Gents, Friday night football at Goodison Park. I can't wait, if I'm, if I'm perfectly honest. So excited for Friday night football. <laughs> I can't tell, is that sarcasm? It is sarcasm. Yeah, I hate it. I don't I'm want really Friday night football. I'm really looking forward to it. <sighs> yeah, I am, but I, I think... You'll you be sitting there in the ground with your whiskey sour. <laughs> all hipstered up, yeah. as always. Checking on the um, Norwegian Super League. <laughs> they, they don't have games on Friday days there, God. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got to accommodate the time difference as well, haven't you? But... Um, I'm I'm looking forward to it, but I think it's a proper weekend killer if you don't win that game, isn't yeah. it? I was talking to a few mates of Liverpool fans and they had it against Chelsea and it's like, you know, the full in fact Liverpool play at half twelve on, on the Saturday, don't they? Mm. So both both games are done mm. before three o'clock on a Saturday, which is a bit unusual. Yeah, I I'm I'm a fan of it if we win, like an early kickoff on a Saturday if we win or get a positive result. I'm like, well that that is major weekend because you can sit and relax and watch yeah. everyone else suffer. But um, if if you lose that game, it, it just puts an absolute dampener on the whole weekend, and it'll be uh, it should be good. Cumin's first game under lights aside from the the Norwich debacle, so um, I think it might be a bit of an atmosphere on Friday. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the atmosphere is like actually. Whether a Friday night um, game invigorates the crowd or whether everyone's flat. I mean, I'd obviously hope for the for the former, and um, Goodison under lights is always rather special. So hopefully, it's the exact type of game that will get Everton back into the groove, if you like. Because I, I think it, we're up against a very very competitive side. They they strengthened really well over the summer for me. Uh, they brought in players in positions that they've been lacking in. Um, I'm thinking about Benteke mm. up front. Townsend's a decent replacement for Balassi. Um, so so we'll need to be at the races if we're going to get anything I think I'm, I'm glad I'll be there and not watching it on Sky because the Friday night football coverage oh, is yeah. pretty pretty bad <laughs> isn't it and, I've not and, seen it yet it's, oh, it's, um, it's, it's pretty great and to be honest and they have a show afterwards as well um, <laughs> which is just oh is that the one that's like in a bar Carl and off the bar oh, oh yeah oh, I've, been, oh, I've, yeah. I've been invited to that Oh yeah, yeah. But I'm, don't, if I I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm going to work. I've got to actually <laughs> do some work. No, no. You. I've had an invite. <laughs> it's that fellow soccer AM, the unfunny one. I know that could be any of them. But um, yeah, I've, baby Elvis or something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's and uh, some girl from Chelsea fan TV. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the, and and it's blatantly obvious. I think that they've. they've I mean, it, it it looks quite sexist to me. But anyway. Um, it's an awful, awful okay, show. Dan right. Farley's on it as well. But um, but I think the atmosphere of the two games that they've had so far, I think the Chelsea before the Liverpool game and United before they played Southampton, it does seem to have been quite a lively atmosphere. So hopefully ours will be the same. I imagine a few people will go... In the straight, bar or at the ground? <laughs> we'll go straight out after work and have a few pints and then make their way up to the ground. And like you said, David, if you do get that one, you can just sit back, put your feet up all weekend then and enjoy the ride we'll well, yeah. back for, yeah. We'll be sitting back for two weeks, won't we? Because we, we won't have a game the following no, weekend because of the international break. So we've got to make sure we got to win. I mean, that Paddy was saying there, Palace have, uh, you know, they've, They've strengthened well and they're a good, good bit of form. They've won the last three. They've won the last two away games. They're scoring goals. You know, three at the weekend at Sunderland, four the weekend before at Stoke. Beat Middlesbrough as well. Um, and and it, it does seem to be those players, you know, they're get, getting a lot of crosses in the in the box. Um, Townsend's getting a lot of joy out wide. Benteke's added that physical presence up front that they've been missing. Um, certainly putting the goals away anyway. And things seem to be you know, coming together for them quite well, and not not that I think they're going to challenge for a European place, but I think that you know they've definitely secured a mid-table spot. And that for me, Palace are a team that they hit they hit um, streaks of form and then streaks of 
rubbishness, let's just say. And that was pretty much separated the season last last season. First half of the season, really good. Second half, really poor. Um, so for me, this is a really tricky game because when they're on form and Pardew's, you know, all loving it and he's got his fancy suits on and uh, doing a dance, you know, dancing <laughs> and got his big shiny teeth and all that kind of thing and thinking, thinking about the England job. Um, it, it, it's a tough one. It puts us in a bit of a tough spot because we'll be slightly, as fans, I know we will, we'll be slightly worried about this game. Yeah, I think, it, sorry, go ahead, Paddy. I think it's an in, it'll be an indicator as well of, as to how, how many of the problems Koeman's been able to to mend in this in this Everton team. Because if you think about last season, there was a, a real weakness from crosses, in particular set pieces. Palace with Scott Danny always seems to score against us. Benteke is a huge threat from these these types of situation as well. Um, and and I don't know. If if we're going to win this game, it feels to me, it feels to me as though we'll have to have seen an improvement in some of these basic aspects of the game. If in, mm. in that sense, yeah, I think Scott Dan's injured, isn't he? So he's not is gonna, he, he's yeah. not going to be playing on Friday. And, and the other encourager thing, obviously, is Balassi usually terrifies the life out of Goodison, doesn't he? And we and we've got him now on the other side. So there's two positive things that we we might not have to worry about. But yeah, I think the, the run of form they're on at the moment is quite indicative of, of Pardew teams, aren't they? They tend to go on runs where they have put five, six wins together, they build up loads of momentum, then it all seems to come crashing down and they struggle to get out of, of those lulls. But yeah, they can be quite a formidable side. Pace, power, as Paddy said in, in part one, they've got a lot of players in, in the team who, who put shifts in midfield. They've got that little bit of quality as well with someone mm-hmm. like Johan Kabai. So they're quite uh, quite varied in the way they can attack teams. But I think we played really well in this fixture last season and caused them a lot of problems at times with the way we played. We did get caught on the break a little bit, but... I think um, I think with the crowd behind behind the team, um, it's you expect them to be out quick in this one. I think if this we talked in in the second part about how we haven't started games quickly this yeah. year, I think this is a game where you look at it and think all the all the aspects are there for them to come off the the, uh, the blocks firing here. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with that, but I, I think you look at this. You mentioned those streaky runs that they go on. Um, we found ourselves in the middle of them on a couple of occasions mm-hmm. in the last couple of years, and the thing that I think. You, you look to in a game like this is is how physical your defenders can be with a challenge like Benteke because they can go quite direct Palace and be quite fluid as well and you're looking at Ashley Williams I, I think there to, to try and do a job on, on Benteke because I mean I, I've got some horrible memories of him absolutely doing the uh, proverbial oh, against uh, poor, Johnny Heiting yeah. and um, he's done it a couple of times and, and Stones as well I don't, I don't think he fared too favourably against them so um, hopefully he's met his match in, in, a, in a big centre half that's that's going to mix it up with him like uh, Ashley Williams I think that that's where their main threat's going to come from um, and, and, and I noticed MacArthur's been getting on the goal uh, goals yeah, the scoring yeah. for the last yeah, couple of games yeah. as well he seems to have added that, that touch to his game um, and and obviously Joe Ledley as well. Who I mean, I was I was watching real funny against Sunderland because um, the first half an hour they were they were woeful. They giving the ball away like like we were at Bournemouth, funnily enough. And um, then they, they come on strong in the second half. Mm. But Moyes made an, an interesting point for once after the game and said that um, you know why are you allowing a player of Ben Teke's aerial prowess a three or four yards run up? Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah, that goal. yeah and, and I think that's where. Um, the spotlight fell a little bit on us under Cumin in terms of comparing them to Martinez because we had that soft touch didn't we we went nasty enough we went physical enough and I think funnily enough Klopp on Monday Night Football was highlighting how his, his sort of zonal marking at Liverpool leads him to block off runs and things like that that aren't deemed fouls but you know it's still physically preventing yeah. the other player yeah. to get to where they want to be in the box 
I think we need to get a little bit more savvy at that. Not that we haven't done too badly so far this season. We haven't conceded many goals, but I think against physical side, I think this is a real, real test for us. And if we if we were to win this, and you look back on those seven games, you think that's a really, really good start. Yeah, it's with the Bournemouth it, nightmare that, side. That's it. It's it, you know, if Everton to win this game, it it is a really, really first good part of the season before we look at the you know coming into slightly tougher games obviously Manchester City away after that and then and then Burnley away that they'll be two tough games but I think what what's good about this game is that although we've we have been talking Palace up a little bit um I think it is quite straightforward how they seem to be doing things it is getting the ball wide it is getting the ball in the box and it, it you know it is using that aerial power and and the strength of set pieces and if we if we've been you know working on that all week I'd like to think we can deal with that with the players we've now got in in and around the team. Um, obviously, Ashley Williams and Jack Gelke, Um I think starting Foons Murray at left-back, I know it'll give a few people nightmares, but obviously we've seen um, Moviedo last week, and let's be honest, he, he, he's not... He's not fully up to speed, is he, with the way Kuma wants to do things? And I think having that extra physical presence of of Foon's Mori, you know, whatever he lacks going forward, I think just having his the just just to put players off, I think that'll that'll aid us. And whether he, that means he goes to three at the back or or persists with him at left back, I don't know. But I, I think that, that I think that could be enough to stop would, Palace. Would you be comfortable him up against someone like Wilfred Zahar or Townsend though in no, that position? Sure. But that's what I'm saying, mate. Yeah, but. <laughs> You know, would you be comfortable with Oviedo against them? Because I wouldn't. I'd, I'd be I, more comfortable with Oviedo. I don't think Oviedo I, can defend I, one bit. I championed this system last week a little bit, but I think it's a, a good time to go to that three at the back again. And maybe if if you, I said Holgate, maybe he could come in and play in a, in a back three at Bournemouth. But if you mm-hmm. look at this game and you mentioned the, the power of Benteke in the air and the physicality Palace have, maybe you might look at Funes Mori, play him in a back three with Williams and, and Jagielka, and then you can push Oviedo on a little bit, then take that yeah. de- defensive responsibility off him a little bit. So. I think there are options there, but there's going to be some big decisions for Kuma to make tactically. Yeah, I think obviously we've got to. It, it all depends. It all comes down to who's fit as well. I mean, you obviously want Gareth Barry as fit as he can be to start the game, and and I suppose the other one is uh, Ross Barkley. You know, he, it, okay, it's a home game, so it's slightly different. Does he persist with him, knowing that he needs a little bit more attack and flair, or does he take the lad out the spotlight? And who does he have to replace him? I think they they're big decisions he's going to have to make. I think I think this is the first game. From the start, where he's got, he's got to, you know, he's got to have a look around the squad and, and look for different options. I know he's done it during the game. Obviously, we've mentioned uh, the McCarthy substitution at West Brom, and obviously Ross Barkley going off at Sunderland. But this is a game, I think, from the start where he has to definitely make tactical changes and also changes to the personnel ba- based on the last few performances. Well, he alluded to it after immediately after the Bournemouth game came and he said there are things in this team that I'm not happy with and I'm prepared to make the changes. Whether they're tactical changes or personnel, I'd actually like to see a bit of both, to be honest with you. I think it's it's time. Matt's spoken about three at the back. There's there's a way that we could go there and that, that would be good against Benteke. Or just a, a flat 4-3-3 where you've got another midfielder in there mm-hmm. that maybe drops in a bit more than Ross Barkley would. Um, we are championing Tom Davis. It doesn't have to be Tom Davis for me um cleverly can do the job as well if 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 needed push balassi and morales on um because let, let's be honest the likes of dale lefeu and barkley aren't just aren't doing enough to, to get started at the moment and the, the passengers as, yeah. as as we saw against bournemouth yeah the, the the versatility we showed in the first few games we'd, we'd been able to revert to a three from a four and then back again i think we did it at west brom um to good effect that i think you, that that's a strength of the side that Cumin sort of brought to it since the start of the season and, and I think that 
you, you don't approach a game like this with the concerns that you had previously about us not being able to play that sort of system because when Martin has tried it out, it was generally a disaster. Um, and and it, it, we've looked quite competent either way so far this season, so I'm not too worried about that. Um, the, the left-back things, it is an issue, Ped. Um, Funes Mori, I think, is an absolute liability. I think if you give him any sort of impetus in a game or licence mm. to say to him, look, try and get forward at whatever point you can, then which a left-back is... Uh, Duly obliged to do, then I think you're asking for for trouble down that side. I don't think Ovie does the answer. Maybe, I mean, you, you, you get creative and throw Holgate in. Could he play left? I'd play Holgate with right back. Yeah. I don't think Seamus Coleman deserves a place yeah. in this team at the moment. But maybe that's that's now. Maybe we're starting to get into the uh, you know we're over overdoing things and what kind of changes Have we you need. That our, our fullbacks aren't as important. Is it because they're getting on a bit and they're not as good as they used to be, or is it because this system that Cooman plays? I think this. I think it's allow for us to have such an impetus on on fullback. Yeah, and I think I think the system doesn't really need it. Does, you know, we used to play with tucked in sense. Of, you know, midfielders didn't we? And the fullbacks yeah. were the width. Now we've got genuine width, so we play with it, and it, and it me- means that the back four is in in more intact, isn't it? Uh, you know, right? You know, that's why I suppose having some like Foon's Mori at left back doesn't worry me as much in a game like this where. You think, well, he doesn't have to get forward or he shouldn't get forward. Whereas in the Norwich game when he played left back, he had Alan Lennon in front of him who was playing on the wrong side. And it, you, you felt like he had to get forward at times. Whereas in this game, I think if he has, certainly has Balassi in front of him um, or even Kevin Morales, I think he'll get more help and, and he'll be able to just do his job. So it'd be interesting. He's got choices. And as I say, I think it's the first game where he's got to have a real good look around the squad and see what he's got and, 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 and look to. How to tactically beat uh, Palace? Because I think I think it'll be a really good, a really tough game. Do, do you think Barkley will play? Or do you think you might just leave him in there for this one game and then look at the international break and take a little bit more time to take stock and reassess everything? Because I I, I look at his last three games, well, three of his last four games, and they've been three four out of ten performances. Mm. Some of them, and I, I just don't think at the moment it'll be particularly good for, for squad morale at all if, if he was good to just keep playing because we talked mm. about it the last times last season and we players who weren't pulling the weight getting picked week after yeah. week and I think three three performances out of four like that shouldn't warrant a starting place Yeah I, I'd, I'd take him off I said it a little bit earlier in the show I'd, I'd probably go cleverly in there who, who did the job and he's able to do a job what what you what you're missing is that that flare moments those those moments of genius that Barkley can't show but if we're, if we're all honest with ourselves, they've been less and less in, in recent games and he hasn't looked likely to perform that, that those sorts of feats. So I'd, I'd throw cleverly in. The the interesting thing for me as well is, and it, I don't know if anybody else has noticed it, but um, Morales, when he drops into those central positions, provided some great assists so far this season. Mm. And I, I, I just wonder, is like Ped said, maybe you're making too many changes and maybe you're shuffling the pack a little bit too much. But I just think is the is the scope to go with something different that's in front of of Barry and, and Gay in in the midfield, and mm. is there something not that, that you're either saying either or one off Barkley or cleverly? Maybe maybe you're mixing it about a little bit, put someone else central. Um, and the other point to make on it as well um, before we finish, <coughs> Graeme Sharp on the Legends was talking about our front four players and how on the day they'll probably obliterate any side in front of them. But you look at Bournemouth and they're, they're extremely individualistic. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're not a unit, a cohesive unit going forward. But you wouldn't expect them to be a unit <coughs> yet, though, no, you would wouldn't. You? And that takes away from the strengths. Yeah. But I, I think that that's something, we, again, that we need to get used to as fans watching mm-hmm. it. You think, well, you know, if one of them has a stinker, then it's, it's them having a, that, that performance alone and you, you're putting a reliance on somebody else. Then it's not... 
I, I don't think you, you're looking at a front four that's fully in sync with each no. other, d- despite their obvious individual talents. But is that is that another um, is that another point in favour of say moving Morales into a into a central area, getting them closer to Lukaku? Exactly. Those, those two players link very well. The one problem for me is that none of the other guys are, are breaking, banging that door down to get into the mm, side. That's the problem. You'd, you'd, you'd put you'd stick Morales central, and then who do you bring in on the wing? Yeah. Dale Feus doesn't deserve a place. Aaron Lennon's. Not not really being seen much, so you're bringing somebody in from the cold. That's actually the way I would go if if De La yeah. was on form, but but the, the options aren't really there for Cumin, are they at the moment? The the Lennon one's interesting because I, I looked on our bench and I thought when we were speaking about there's nobody really there who can give you the six or seven out of ten performance. I, I think if there's one on there that probably could do that, yeah. it's Adam Lennon. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if he's to come in and be given a chance, maybe Cumin doesn't fancy, him, maybe he's not showing enough match fitness in pre-season or, or the last few weeks or whatever, but. I think you, you put him on, you, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get direct running where when he cuts inside, he can be very dangerous as well. We all know his limitations with his end product and his crossing. Um, maybe that's what Koeman's looked at and thought, well, maybe he's not for me. But I think if you, you're looking at Benson, you're looking at someone who's going to put in a decent shift uh, at the very least and, and not give you a Barkley performance of late or a, or a Balassi performance of Bournemouth, then maybe maybe it's worth taking a risk on Annalyn. Yeah. And, and the other the other points I'll make on that as well, the, the most in sync we have looked going forward this season is when Morales did play behind Lukaku yeah, yeah. and Sunderland in the second half. And while Delafeu came on and, and did okay that night, the last few games again, mm-hmm. same with Barkley, he's not done enough to be in the team. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me if Aaron Lennon did come in there, gives a little bit of cohesion on that right hand side and then Morales, Balassi and Lukaku have got a little bit more license centre to bomb on. Yeah, yeah it's pl- plenty food for four for the manager. And I think if we can get the three points, you know, it is it is it is an absolutely fantastic start to the season. Getting you know, if we could get sixteen points out of the first seven games, and I think that's a fantastic yeah. start going into October, going into going into the business. You know, starting to be the business side of the season. You know, well, you, last season hasn't started yet. If you listen to the Reds, has it? When he played easy teams, no, I'm more occupied with that big stand, aren't he? Anyway, um, yeah. So we'll find out Friday night, and then we've got two weeks of uh, nothing, or certainly one weekend of nothing. Anyway, so Southgate's going to say, yeah, get enthused. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. There's a reason um, I'm on the radio with that look. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Anyway. <laughs> Three points. Happy days. Let's go. <laughs> See you later. <laughs>